Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning. Good to be with you today. Uh, we are, um, and if it's your first time or second, I'm Jim Del Campo. I'm the, I'm the senior pastor. I get to be that, uh, been that for about 31 years, so it's been a lot of fun. But today we are um, once again in the Book of Acts. We only have two chapters to go in the Book of Acts this week and next week, and then we leave the book. Have you enjoyed this year in Acts? I mean, we've been okay. Three of you, praise the Lord. We got that. Done. But um, yeah, we've broken it up, I think four, four sevens, the ch- 20 chapters, but now we're nearing the end. And today I want to talk about um, riding out the storm. And um, I do have experience with storms because uh, growing up, I did watch every episode of Gilligan's Island. Anybody with me on that? And in the 90s, I did see the movie Titanic. Anybody have seen the movie? I saw it. Yeah. Yeah, okay, we got a lot, a lot of excitement on that one. And then I did go to the Titanic exhibit last year in L.A., and that was really, really cool. I like historical things like that. So I have experience. In, no, okay, I don't have any experience like that. But let me just talk to you um, and say this. You're like me, and I'm like you. We all go through storms in life, correct? And the longer you live, the more storms you go through in life. It's a fallen world. You should, it's like, it was Peter in the New Testament that says, he goes, why do you think it's strange when these fiery trials come upon your life? He says, don't think it's strange. It's kind of like, it's normal life. And so the storms of life, they're going to come. And some of them, well, How many know that you've been through some storms that feels like you've been to hell and back? Anyone? Yeah, we all, the older you get, you're going to have one or two of those hell and back storms. And you wish they only lasted for weeks or months, but sometimes they last years, don't they? And they're very difficult. Popped into my mind in first service, um, I was a young Christian of 20-something years old, and we went uh, door-to-door witnessing and it was, I was 27, there was a young man with me who was about 19 years of age. And I said, go ahead and take this one. And he knocked on the door, and you know, I was 20-some, so the lady looked at me like she was 150 years old. She was probably my age now. And, so. and, uh, and he starts sharing with her, and, and he brings up something about hell. And she looked at him, and she goes, Sonny, I've been to hell and back in my life. And my young uh, protege here, he didn't know what to do with that, okay? So I had to step in and I had to continue the sharing and get out of there as fast as I could. But she's right. There's so many of us that have, we've just been through such storms in life and we've been to hell and back. And because storms are part of life, how do you write it out? But better than that, how do you write it out and come out victorious or better on the other side? That's really the big issue, isn't it? To be able to come out better on the, on the other side. So I want to begin first, before we're going to go into Acts 27 chapter, but first I'm going to take you to something that Jesus said. Put it on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you, do a little bit of commentary so you understand this. 
And I'll use this kind of as a thought within the message here and there, but to give you a kickstart. These are Jesus, the God-man, the creator of the universe. These are his words. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. In other words, you don't just sit in church and listen to it, but you do it. That's a big difference. Maybe compared to a wise man. Now he's calling the person who hears the word of God and does the word of God, that person's wise. Because why? Because who built his house on the rock. He's saying this person, the house is your, is your life. It also could be your marriage. It could be your dating relationship. It could be your business. But you want to build it on the rock because the rock is solid. It's immovable. We know that the rock he's talking about with the rest of the scriptures is Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. Amen? That's what he's talking about. I'm talking about himself. He's talking about the word of God. He is the word of God. Verse 25, here's what he says now. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, this house on the rock. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. He says, when the storms of life come, and they will come, and they will slam, but when they come, because your life is built on solid rock, yeah, you're not going anywhere. You're not falling apart. You're not breaking down. You're not losing hope because you're built on something that is solid. The Word of God, what it says, you believe it, you trust it, and you do it. But then he's going to give you contrary. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man. In other words, you hear it. You might listen to it on whatever you listen to it on, podcasts, come to church, watch it online, whatever you do, but you don't do it. You don't act on it. Well, he says, that will be a foolish man, like a foolish man who built this house on the sand. Now, we know sand can be blown by wind. It can be moved by water. And any builder knows you don't want to build a structure on sand because it's going to shift all over the place. And so Jesus says that, verse 27, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. In other words, when the storms of life did come and they will come, and it hits a house not built on the right foundations. It shakes. It moves. And it gets blown over. And you know, there's some of us in this room, we know what that feels like. We've been through there. You know what the interesting thing I think about the person who builds their house on the sand? I would speculate to say that that type of person thinks that tomorrow is going to be like today. If today is good and everything's going fine, that tomorrow is going to be like that. But those of us who have now lived life, we know that's not true. Amen? Because you just don't know what tomorrow brings. And like I stated, let me reiterate that we live in a fallen world and things just happen. And, you know, problems come and storms. 
And so we come to this chapter 27 in Acts. And Dr. Luke, the writer, he's the same one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke and Acts, they are companion volumes. They are best read one after the other. And as he writes what, chap what we know as chapter 27, he devotes a whole chapter to this event where Paul is in a storm in the Mediterranean. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you know that when these things were first written, there were no chapter breaks or verse breaks they were putting in later so we could find where verses are because they were written in scroll type things. But he devotes a big section to this storm that Paul is in. And the question is why? And I think as we progress through, you're going to see why. Because it's, it's a lot that he gives us. So we're going to now pick up the story in Acts chapter 27. I'll start reading in verse 6, but let me just bring you up to snuff, okay? For those of you just joining us, and those who have been here in this series, Paul, he is a man who hated Christians. Before I was a Christian, I couldn't stand Christians either. I didn't want to be one of you guys. You've heard me say that a hundred times. But once I became a Christian, I understood because the Spirit of God comes and lives in you and you just see life differently because you see it through God's eyes. Any amens on that? If you can witness to that one right there. But Paul used to hunt Christians down, murder them, murder them because he's trying to stomp out Christianity. He's trying to stomp out this Jesus cult. But then he has an experience with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And in a moment, his life changes. In a moment, he becomes this evangelist for God. And he will plant churches all along the Mediterranean. He um, goes on three missionary journeys to revisit where he's planted the churches to make sure they're not falling off into false doctrine. He has also written 13, maybe 14, we don't know if he wrote Hebrews or not, that's debatable, but at least 13 New Testament letters. So he's made a massive impact. Here's a guy who hated Christians, and now he's made this hum humongous impact in the entire known world for Jesus Christ. He's arrested for his faith in Christ, for his belief system. Get used to that one. But he's arrested. And he's been charged, and every one of the charges are lies. They're all lies. They're throwing whatever they can against the wall to see what sticks, and nothing sticks. But he's been in prison now for a couple years at least. They want to assassinate him, the Jews in Jerusalem. He knows that. And so he says, I appeal to Caesar, because he is also a Roman citizen. And to Caesar you go. So off he goes to avoid assassination as an innocent man, but he's still in chains. Now they jump on a ship in Caesarea. That's the coast of Israel on the Mediterranean. If you've been to Israel, you know that is our first stop that we make after we spend the night in Netanya, then we go to Caesarea on the coast. You will see the steps where Paul walked down, probably led onto the ship because it was a man-made port there in that place. They take him as a prisoner on the ship. They head north to what we know as southern Turkey. They come to a city then called Myra. And there at Myra, they get on another ship. 
because there's a centurion who's overseeing this. The ship heads now south to the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. They land in Fair Haven, and it's there I want to pick up the story of Paul. In chapter 27, let me read 6, 7, and 8 before we get into, because I'm going to give you three points with a bunch of sub-points this morning, then drive it home at the end. Verse 6, there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. Now, an Alexandrian ship, that's North Africa. Some of you know your history. You know that one of the great, the greatest library in antiquity was in Alexandria on the North, North African coast. Big earthquakes in the area. Place burned down the whole shot. That, that library's gone. But in Alexandria, it was there. Verse 7, when we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty, so it's not easy going as it is, had arrived off Sinaitis since the wind did not permit us to go farther. So there's a headwind, it's pushing him. And we sailed under the shelter of Crete off, off Salmoni, or Salmon, and with difficulty, see it's tough, sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was a city of Lycia. Now, this ship that they're on, since it's coming from Alexandria, you're going to find out, this is a grain barge. And Rome, who's the power, they, um, they imported a lot of their grain for bread from Egypt. And this is one of the barges coming up. These barges are not great maneuverable ships. They basically had one mast with one sail, and so to have multiple sails to be able to turn, didn't have that. So you, you, you depend on certain winds, and they're hitting headwinds. So it's, it's difficult sailing already. They come to Fair Havens on the south side of the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. And so here is where now we pick it up. I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give you the heavier one first, but it's something I think is real important that we talk about because we want to help you be able to not continue to make mistakes in life. Any amen on that one? So that was a weak one, but I'll take it. Number one in your notes, and that is this. Do not create your own storm. Do not create your own storm. Now, the question first is, why would I put that in there? I'll ask you a question. Do people create their own storms? You better believe they do. And if you don't believe they do, that just tells me that you don't talk to many people. Because if you started talking to people and fellowshipping and then counsel, you'll find out that plenty of people create their own storms. This is a very common thing. And by the way, how many of you are counselors? You do counseling? Anybody raise your hand in the room here? Okay, we had a couple in the first service. Raise your hand, counseling? I didn't see any hands back there. Okay, okay. I got to make an appointment. I need counseling. No, I'm just joking. But as counselor, two of you, right? Did two of you raise your hand? Yeah? Yeah, and you too. Okay. As counselors, um, you know something that the rest of us don't know unless we do a lot of counseling. And that is, you find out as years go by in counseling that though the faces change, the problems are pretty much the same. They are the same root causes. That's why you get better and better at your counseling as you experience more which leads us to understand what the New Testament says, that there's no temptation 
We'll, we'll talk to you in a second. But there's no temptation. I, I just want to say that. There's no temptation but such as is common to man. So now we know that temptation is common to everyone. It's the same stuff. Satan has no new plans. He has no new tricks. If it works on me and works on you, he's going to try it with the next person. And so you as counselors, you see the consistencies in that. Now, that's why it's very important that you get in fellowship. Because once again, how many of you know, now let me back up. Yesterday in our fellowship, in our men's uh, breakfast, um, fellowship, Bible study, I asked a question about anger. How many of you have, you know, you react, you react, you have some anger. And, and hands went up everywhere. Question, how many of you are reactors? You, you react, raise your hand. Just be honest, whether inward or outward. You raise your hand. Now, raise them up, hold them up. Now, hold them up, please, please. Now, look around, everybody. Now, that should make you feel better, right? Because how many of you thought you, you can put your hand down, Sylvia. It's okay, put it down now. Okay. I'm waving her in now, okay. How many of you honestly thought, I'm the only one? Raise your hand, okay. I'm the only one, okay. Okay, then we're making progress if there's just a few. But when, you see, to, in fellowship, you understand, and I said it like this yesterday, well, I'm not the only bucket head in the group, right? I'm not the only crazy person here. We all have issues in our life, and that really helps us because, as I said yesterday, if you think you're the only one, then pretty soon you're going to say, I'm the bad one, and then you might take it to, why go to church? I can't worship. Everybody here is good. I'm bad. Ever been there? Ever been there? Yeah, and that's a lie of the devil because we're all, it's common to man. As counselors, uh, understand this. And so with that said, one of the issues that you run into often is that people create their own crisis. They, they do. Now, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons, listen to me, I'm going to speak to one or two or ten people that really need to hear what I'm going to tell you, is because you might have grown up in a family where there was a lot of drama or crisis or anger or something or addiction or something, and so it's crisis and drama. Like I grew up, anybody relate to that? Raise your hand, I want to know who's in my same predicament. Yeah, raise it up high, come on, I want to know who's on my team. Okay, we're going to get t-shirts after service, Okay. The drama team. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but when you grow up in drama and crisis and you don't realize it and you think that's all it is, the abnormal becomes normal, well, guess what? You grow up and you just repeat the cycle, correct? And you come into relationships and you start crisis and drama, whether dating or marriage or whatever, and, you, and then you're married to somebody who doesn't know what's really going on, and they wonder again, what did I do this time? Anyone know that one right there? What did I do this time? I don't even know what I did. They're having a crisis. I think I'm the problem. No, you're not the problem. It goes back into the childhood. It goes back to there. Guys, all I'm saying is this. If that's you, and you're a crisis creator, it's drama, and it feels, you, you feel peace for a season, but it feels weird and it feels wrong. And then you have to create a crisis. We don't want you to do that anymore. We don't want you to go through that anymore. A few of you, we don't want you to blow up another marriage. We want you to find peace. We want you to find healing. Start talking. Start talking. And those of you who raise your hand with reaction and stuff like that, you'll never change unless you start talking and start getting it out. Take it from a guy, a reactor. I was the inward reactor. 
But we want you to heal up. We don't want you to create your own storms. We want you to find peace. We want your relationships to thrive. And I know you want that too. Now, do not create your own storm. Let's look at Paul. Let's look what Dr. Luke writes. Because he's going to really give us three things, three subpoints in point one as to how we create our own storms. Please pay attention. First one is this, impatience. Under point one, it's impatience. Question, how many of you are impatient? How many of you are impatient? How many, I'm getting impatient. <laughs> Watch this. Verse nine. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous. Notice considerable time. That's the big deal right there. Since even the fast was already over. Say fast. That's important. Paul began to admonish them. Now notice the first thing that goes on here. Time is going by, is it not? And if they are taking grain from Egypt to Rome on a ship probably owned by the pilot there, that means time is what? Time is money. And so now you're going to feel this crunch. You're going to feel like you've got to get there at a certain time. Now let me add a big piece that Dr. Luke, the writer, gives us that really gives us a broader picture of what's going on. He says at this moment the fast is already over. The only fast that we know of required by Old Testament law was the fast of the Day of Atonement. So that be the case, this puts this date here around October the 5th. That's important. Because if this is October the 5th, which probably is, look at my hands. If this is October the 5th, every sailor in that time, they knew in that area where they're going, you do not sail, you do not set out where you want to go to between September and November. Are they right in the middle of that little area right there? Yes. You do not set sail. You do not, do not attempt it. It's going to turn out very bad. But in patience, because considerable time has passed, they're going to launch out. Even though they know, they know better. They know better. Now, hold that one. The next way we create our own storm is the second one. Trusting advice contrary to God's word. Trust advice contrary to God's word. Now watch this, verse 10, 11, and 12. And said to them, men, here's Paul speaking. Men, because he knows they're going to launch. He says, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. He's making a prophetic statement. It's going to get bad. And you're going to lose a lot by taking off. Verse 11. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision. Is the majority always right? No. To put out to the sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now look up at me. They're on the island of Crete, in the Mediterranean. They're right here. They want to move from Fairhaven, 40 miles or thereabouts, to Phoenix, right here. There's a couple reasons for that. 
Here in Fairhaven, it's a boring town for sailors. They don't want to spend the winter there. This is a more party town. Also, this is a, a in Fairhaven, the port is no, no protection. In Phoenix, there's more of a protection within that port so you could have uh, more settled waters in the port. So there's these kind of logical reasons why they would want to move forward. Paul speaks up, question, is Paul the voice of God on the ship? Yeah, yeah, he is. He says, don't do it. Don't do it, man. But they're more persuaded by the majority, the centurions are more persuaded by the pilot and by the captain. And so we see where they're going to go against God's wisdom, God's word in a sense, and they're going to go with their own thinking. Listen, friends, listen, person, especially young people, this is the way you can build your life right on the rock. You don't go with thinking, cultural thinking, friendship thinking, anybody's thinking that is contrary to what God says in His Word. Amen? This is why you read the Word. You study the Word. You got to get this in you so you can be able to discern, is that correct or is that not correct? Because plenty of people, including Christians, are going to want to tell you what is correct, not correct. You have to be able to go back to the Word of God and get foundation on that. So Paul's saying, don't do it. But, you know, they're going to trust the wisdom, the words of, uh, that are not found in God's word, and they're going to go. They're going to launch. Now you've got, you know you shouldn't. You know the time of year. You're not listening to God's word. You're going to what somebody else is thinking is, and there they're going. Now that's the third thing. Here we go. The third thing is trusting good conditions. This is where you've got to be real careful when you are um, just in life. Look at verse 13. When a moderate south wind came up, Notice as moderate. It's not so bad, huh? Supposing that they had attained their purpose, supposing, say supposing, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close inshore. So all of a sudden, the weather takes a good turn for them. It's a moderate wind. It's not really rough. So they suppose, huh, I suppose, this is it. We can go. We can go the 40 miles to get to Phoenix because it's supposing th this, it looks good. Conditions look really, really good. Now listen, this is where it gets dangerous, where you could really bring storms in your life. It looks like good conditions. It, it looks really good. And so they suppose. Wait, does experience and wisdom say this is storm time of the year? Yes or no? But now they suppose. We see a little bit. We, it's kind of nice now. And they suppose. We, this is I feel and I think. Well, God's word says this, but I feel and I think. It looks good. And I feel and I think. What was Eve's problem? She looked at the fruit. She's not supposed to eat it. God told her. She goes, well, it looks good. Looks like it tastes real good. Well, I feel and I think. And now we jump into I feel and I think. And now they're going to get themselves caught up in this thing. So there's impatience. That's the first thing you find in a storm. You go contrary to God's word. And can I say something about impatience? This is one of the things that, uh, look, I'm an older minister now. And I've, I, I've, I've been around the block like too many times to even count, okay? I don't even know there's a block anymore that I can go around. But one of the things you find and you see sometimes, sometimes, is that this impatience thing. And especially in relationships, 
Where, where somebody, you know, you, you, you say, you know, I, I'm in love. How long have you been dating? Eight and a half hours. And you know, you're in love, you know. And then you, you get married in like four months. And they're so And then by month nine or 10, you realize you married Satan himself. Any amens on that one? Right? You, you clapped? Wow, okay. That got a clap? Yeah, I got him right here, man. To pull the wig off, show the horns, you know. You know, so, but, but right? But you got impatient and you jumped and now you regret, correct? And you gotta be careful with stuff like that. You gotta be careful all that because everybody's telling you, no, no, it's too soon. No, watch out because I'm seeing some red flags. Well, I feel and I think, look, it's a moderate wind, you know, it looks good. And then you jump in and you can apply that to anything in life. You gotta slow things down. Slow it down and be sure and be wise and line it up with God's word. Now, they decide we're launching. We're not listening to the word of God on the ship, Paul. Now watch what happens, verse 14 to verse 20. Now they're gonna get in it. Here we go. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Erechilo. Now, the word violent, that's the Greek word, we get our word typhoon. Is a typhoon kind of a big storm? Yeah, so as soon as they go, even though they supposed, feel and think, look good, they jump out, they know it's storm season, boom, the typhoon hits, and they are caught in it now. Now they know we should have listened to the voice of God, we should have listened to experience, we should have slowed it down and not lied. Now they know, but it's too late. Verse 15, and when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. This is where now you're in the storm, you brought it on, and now you have no control of your life. Any amens on that? Ever been there? You're in a storm and now you've lost total control, which is one of the worst places, feelings to ever be in life. Now look at verse 16. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clada, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. So they're trying to control the ship. They're trying to run close to shore. It's out of control. Verse 17. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables. What's going on here is they have a little, they have a dinghy on the, how many know what a dinghy is? Okay, let's start from the beginning here. It's a little boat on the back of the boat. You get off on the little boat to get to shore and stuff like that. That's what a dinghy is. So they get the dinghy on the ship. They get it under control. That's what they're doing now because this big boat's out of control and that dinghy's all over the place. It's out of control. Ever been there? Ever been there? Okay, good. We're, we're, we're relating here. And they hoisted it up, these supporting cables, and undergirding the ship and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. Now they take, the way I understand it is, they have these ropes that they put under the ship on the exterior, I don't know how they do this, but they pull them tight to keep the hull from cracking in the storm. That's how bad it is. And now it says that they are being driven along. They have the anchor down and it's still dragging them along. They've lost total control of their lives. Verse 18. It's not bad enough. Watch this. The next day. Yikes. That was bad. Now we have a next day. As we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. Why did I ever make this decision? The cargo is money, guys. 
The cargo is what you worked for. And we made the decision. We went against God's wisdom, against God's word. We got impatient, and now we're in it, and it's dragging me along, and I have no control, and now I'm losing what I've worked for in my life. Anybody? You never want to get there. But it's not done. It says, verse 19, now on the third day, what means the next day? They threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Stop. The ship's tackle is the ship's equipment. It'd be like saying, now I'm losing my business. Now I'm having to sell off stuff in my business to be able to just survive in my life. I'm losing my income. I'm losing what I've worked for. Now I'm losing my business. My life is out of control. Why did I ever step this way? Anybody? And then, verse 20. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm, meaning it's a massive storm, was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Say abandoned. Now, watch this. They're out there for many days. And they can't see the sun or the stars at all. They can't see anything in the sky. That's bad. Because in that day, a couple thousand years ago, they navigate by what? They're looking at the stars. Not the planets, but they're looking at the stars. And they can't see them. Which tells us they're being dragged along. They don't know if they're facing west, south, east, north, they don't know what's what, they don't know where, they have no idea where they're at, where to turn, they don't know, they've lost their cargo, they're losing their business, they're losing everything, and it says all hope of being saved, abandoned. In other words, they look at each other and say, we're going down, we're going down. When you can't see the sun and the stars, it's like you and I saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You ever say that? You ever have anybody say it to you? I don't know what to do. I got myself in this thing. And it's dragging me along. And I regret that decision. And I've lost so much already. And I don't know where to navigate. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I give up. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. Look, there's a guy on the ship by the name of Paul. And he's the voice of God. And I gave you the hard part first because I want to warn you. I want you to wake up some of you to this thing. You don't have to make bad decisions. This was the bad part of the message. Now I get to do the more fun part. And that's Paul, his voice. He's still on the ship. And he hasn't lost hope. And we're going to see when we're in a storm how that all works. And I made it heavier on the front side in case you're in that storm. And you're like, I don't know what to do. And I've lost so much. Well, let me show you. Let me show you what God's answer to that is. Because there's always hope. And we want to give you hope. 
If I ended this message in point one, you'd probably leave, drive off a cliff right now. But let me show you the hope. Here we go, point two. Faith makes a difference in the storm. Would you say amen to that? It always makes a difference in the storm. Now watch this. Verse 21 and 25. Now Paul's gonna speak up. They have all lost hope, correct? Yes or no? Verse 21. When they had gone a long time without food, they haven't eaten. Then Paul stood up in their midst and said, I love this line. Men, you you ought to have followed my advice. Now, mind you, it's, it's, they don't know where they're at. It's been dragged along. I just, now, he's not, he's not like, he's not trying to put them down. You'll see in a second. I'll get back to that. And not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. He goes, you shouldn't have launched. That's like when your family says, you know, we told you. We warned you, but you just, we love you, and that's why we told you. And some of you in this room, your family's not stupid. Your parents aren't dumb. Not even your older brother. Well, maybe he's not smart, but no, I'm just joking. I'm joking. But they love you. And they're the ones who are going to tell you the truth sometimes that you don't want to hear. But they love you. And they may say, I told you. I told you. That's what's going on here. Verse 22. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. Look what Paul says. I keep up your courage. Here comes the hope. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. He gives, look, you're not going to die. And you lose a ship, but you're not going to die. For this very night, an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. We've heard that before, have we not? Yes or no? If you've been studying with us, paying attention, you've heard it before multiple times in Acts. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. In other words, everyone going to make it with you. We're all gonna, you're all going to live. He's telling these guys on the ship that, verse 25. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Oh, man, this is so, so cool. Now, he says, should listen to me. But then right around that, he says, Keep up your courage, man. It's going to be okay. That's an important combo right there because no one, when they've made major mistakes, likes to be given a lecture and beat down even more. Any amens on that? And as a Christian, we need to understand that. We need to build people back up. They're coming in and maybe they're coming into your family and they're beat down. I remember this. I heard this a long time. I'll share it right now. Let's say that every one of us in this room, we all have 50 speeding tickets. Okay? And let's say the DMV DMV calls you up. And they say, you know, sir, ma'am, we see that you have 50 speeding tickets. Uh, We think that's hilarious. Would you come down? We want to see what a person like that looks like. And we just want to make fun of you. Would you come on down here? How many of you would not come on down there? Raise your hand. How many of you wouldn't? Okay. No, I wouldn't either. But what if they called you up and said, you know, you have 50 speeding tickets. I know you don't want them. I know you don't want 51. So would you come on down? We want to help you. We want to give you some tips on how not to get 51 so you don't get any more speeding. Would there be more of a chance that you'd go down and listen? And the answer is yes. 
Yes. And so you have to, that's why you got to work with people. When life has beat them down, they've made the bad mistakes. Yeah, you, could, you get a little bit, yeah, I warned you. But let me, let me tell you the good news. Here's how we're going to get out of this thing right now. Now, there's three things I'm going to pull out of here, how faith makes a difference. Paul makes statements. Now, watch this. They're very cool. The first thing in your notes, he says this. He says, I belong to God. That's love. I belong to God, right? God loves me. I put my faith in him. He loves me. By the way, if you have children, you always want to uh, make sure you keep on instilling in them uh, why they are here. They are here, Revelation 4.11, because God created them by his will. In other words, did God want them? Yes. So you always teach him, you're here because God wanted you. And then you, that means God loves you. And then you affirm that more by saying, I love you and I wanted you. You are my kid. And when you teach kids that, well, they grow up secure and are able to stand up against the world's onslaughts, the cultural onslaughts in their life. Any amen? So you want to teach them the right thing. So Paul says... I belong to God. God loves me. It's storming. It's raging. They don't know where they're at. Hey, God loves me. They're great. Now, the second thing he says is this. He says, I must stand before Caesar. What is that? That's hope. He says, look, I know, and I've been told a couple times, this is the third time now, I think third, maybe fourth time, I know I'm to go to Rome, and I'm to stand before Caesar, and that's hope. Is it not? Hope is the knowledge that something good is going to come out of this whole thing. Paul knows I'm in the will of God. And because I'm in the will of God, and I know what God has said, that I've got to do this, I'm not going to die out at sea. So everybody can be down and hopeless. I'm not going to be that way. I know I'm going to make it because I'm in the will of God. Now, question. There is an Old Testament prophet out of the will of God in a boat on the storm in the Mediterranean who is thrown overboard and his name is what? Louder? Jonah, that's right. He's out of the will of God. Now, the third thing Paul says is this. He says, I believe God. That's called faith. Paul says, I believe God. So now you have the first one, love, and then you have hope, and you have faith. Faith is belief. It's, it's, it's trust. Now, let me, let me tell you something about this real quick. Faith, belief is not, oh yeah, I believe God. Oh yeah, I prayed about it. When Jesus used the, words, used the word belief, you take the gospel of John, use it a lot. It's the idea that you're, say you're at a pool, a deep end, and you're jumping in two feet first, and you're all the way in. You're submerging all the way in. You're not giving God 25% or 50%. You're going all the way. It's the idea, to try to give it visuals, it's the idea of you're stepping on the yellow brick road, and you're staying on the yellow brick road, and you're not getting off. In other words, you jump in there and you're following Jesus and that's it. You are the person now that Jesus said you build your life upon the rock. You read it, you have it taught to you, you do it, and you have a strong foundation because you have stayed right there. And so when the wind and the rain come, you're not being shaken. Paul says, I believe God. I trust God. It looks bad. It is bad. Everybody's freaking out, but I trust, I believe God. Now, let me tell you what that means. That's point three in your notes, and that's this. One man's faith in a storm makes a difference in others. One man's faith during that storm time 
makes a difference in others. Haven't you ever had it where people have seen you go through storms of life, they know you're going through it at work or wherever, and they see the way you stay even kill, the way you stay founded, you're not shaken, you're not blown over, have you ever noticed that? And then when they go through a trial, who do they come and talk to? You. You. Because you're on a rock. One man's faith, listen to me, one man's faith makes a difference in a storm. And Jesus Christ is on a cross. And he's been tortured. Bad. He hasn't had food. He hasn't had sleep. His back is open from all the whipping. He's on the cross, nailed in there, and he's pushing up and down, pulling, pushing up and down, to breathe in and to exhale. His back is open. It's rubbing against that cross. And while he's up there, something happens. There's a centurion. There's a centurion in the story. But there's another centurion in Jesus' story. The centurion is watching Jesus. And at the end of it, he says, truly this was a son of God. A centurion says that? A centurion acknowledges that Jesus is the God-man? That this is the Savior of the world? What happened? Well, because he's watching Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What? Jesus is solid up there and he's saying, I'm not holding grudges. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm forgiving people even while you've killed me. He looks at his mother, Jesus does, and John, he says, woman, behold your son, behold your mother. In other words, take care of my mama. In other words, he's not thinking about himself. No, take care of my mama. And then he looks to the father. He's gone with the people. Forgive them. He's gone to mom. Take care of my mom. Then he turns to the father. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. I've accomplished it. He goes, I trust you, God. I put faith in you. I trust you. And he dies. And the centurion says, truly this was a son of God. I'm convinced that that centurion got saved because he saw the way one man handled it. He saw the faith and the trust of Jesus in the Heavenly Father. The same way Paul's on that ship and it's falling apart. It's crazy. And Paul is in a storm that he didn't even create. Have you ever been part of someone else's storm? That's an awful thing. You had nothing to do with it. And now you're caught in it. But he stays calm. He says, I trust God. I believe God. I belong to God. I'm supposed to get to, to Rome. I'm supposed to, one man's faith. One man's faith. Let me finish with two thoughts. The storms, they don't so much make you. They reveal you. The storm reveals what kind of foundation you have built your life upon. Oh, Jim, you know, I haven't been going to church for six, eight months. It just, life got so tough. Sand. <laughs> you say, Jim, you have no mercy. No, I'm telling you what it says. Could we go with what it says, not what you suppose? Did you see what just happened there? Don't go with suppose. Don't go with feel and think. It's sand. You think I want people to live their life on sand? No. When you build it on the rock and the storms come, it reveals it, man. Solid. You're going to make it. You're going to go all the way with Jesus Christ. And no one's going to talk you out of it.
You're going to be okay even when everything around you looks bad and is bad. Now, last thought. Watch this. Paul says this. He tells everybody, but we must run aground on a certain island. What did he just tell them? You're going to lose a ship. We're going to crash land this thing. And you're going to have to do that. Now stop and think about that. Because doesn't that naturally go against our... We want to save the ship, right? He says, no, you've got to crash it. Okay, now he's telling us there are options now. There are options. And so I want to close. Option number one. Okay, you made a bad decision. You got yourself in a big storm. You've lost a lot. You don't know what to do. You've lost all hope. It's really bad. The wind's dragging you along whichever way it wants. You're going to have to crash land the ship. You're going to lose the ship. But you will live. But you will survive. You're going to cut all your losses and you're going to start over but now you'll have the wisdom of what just happened in your life to start over. That's option. Option one. He never states option two, but we all know option two. You can stay out in the Mediterranean and keep being drug along day four, five, six, seven, 27, 30, and just keep going through it and do the same thing over and over again and over and over again thinking it's going to change but it never does you can keep doing the same things that's option two but Paul never states it but we know that's an option here's what I think I know and I can't tell you for sure because I'm not old enough to I'm not 2,000 years old to know what the captain and the pilot did but I would bet that once they're all saved and next week we're going to see they all make it ashore they make it to Malta I would bet the captain and the pilot, the next time they ran a grain freighter in that part of the world, and they were there between September and November, do you think they launched or said, we're not doing that again? We're not doing that again. See, that's called wisdom. And some of us, maybe one or two, I don't know, but you got to cut your losses. Some things you got to crash, meaning you got to just stop it. I know you had a lot invested, but it's just going nowhere. It was the wrong road. You're alive. And if you start to build your life upon the rock and what he says, watch what God builds. Watch what God builds in your life. You got to go with that first option. Let it crash, let it burn, but you're alive and you can start over. And when you trust God and you get on the yellow brick road of, your, of life, God can build it, man. God can build it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that Dr. Luke gave us this actual event in history. And all the insights and applications and wisdom in it. 
I would pray specifically first for somebody or people in this room that you're just being drug along. Opportunities have come to just crash these things, meaning stop. Start over. And let God build a house right this time. Let Him build the things right in your life. Others of you, you're in someone else's storm. They're the storm creators. But you're the voice of God on that boat. You're the one that brings the light in that situation. You're the one that brings the wisdom of God to the situation. And God's got you. You belong to Him. Some of you need to start building that house on the rock. Because we are living in shaky times. In fact, if you just go back and read Matthew chapter 24, you would think that Jesus is describing the end times right now that we're living in. But you've got to build your life upon the rock. So when the wind, rain, storms come and blow against your life, you don't fall over. You don't give up on God. You don't walk away from fellowship for a year. You don't do any of those things because you're on the rock. Now, with all that said, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, that means you've never even begun to build upon the rock. You're building on sand. You're building on I feel and I think. And you may have had a good, few good guesses on I feel and think. But ultimately, you want to be built on rock, on the truth of God's word, because he's the eternal creator. He's the one who came, took human flesh, went to a cross, carried your sins and mine, every one of them. His blood was shed to forgive us of our sins. Now we have to respond. It's not automatic. That's why Jesus warned us repeatedly of an, eter an eternal hell. Jesus did that. Not me, Jesus did that. But he also told us of a glorious eternity with him that we could go there, but he's the doorway. He's the door we walk through. We must put faith in him, complete trust. Acknowledging that he is the Savior, Lord, God. And our life now is surrendered to him. So, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, never become a follower of Christ, maybe today's your day. Or maybe a backslid. And you've been living on sand and you know it. And it's time to say, okay, I'm done with the sand. I'm going to start to build it on the rock. It's time for me to come back to Christ and really come back. No games. I'm going to get on the yellow brick road and that's it. So if you'd like to put your faith in Christ because you never have or rededicate your life, here's what I want you to do right now. As a sign between you, me, and God, I want you to open up your eyes and look at me. I'm going to look back at you. Once our eyes have met, you can close them. 
but do it right now as a sign between you, me, and God. Now, all of you who looked up at me, Christianity is, is not something, it's not a game, it's, it's a real life relationship. And I'm going to lead you into that relationship. I'm going to say a prayer. And I want you to repeat it after me, those who looked up. And everyone here is going to say it with us. But you've got to believe, which means you're going to jump in two feet first. For the rest of your life. You're not just going to hear and read the Word of God. You're going to do it. You're going to live it. It's called repentance. So I want to say this prayer now. I want you who looked up to repeat it. And I want everyone to say it with you. Here we go all together. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and giving your life for me. Thank you. Forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven of all my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord, my Savior, my God. Holy Spirit, take over. Thank you for saving me. Now allow me to pray for you. God, I pray for everybody who looked up. Follow up. Get into church. Become a worshiper. Read the word. Do these things that you learn about what the rock of Jesus is all about and then you put them into practice. You can't go it alone. No one can. None of us can. The Bible's clear on that over and over again. But I pray your life begins to change. No more sand. Now it's the solid rock of Jesus. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen and amen. Would you stand up with me, everybody? Now, those of you who looked up at me, would you just listen to me for a second? No, move around, please. I needed to say this. You don't want to go this alone. We're asking you who looked up at me, please, come and talk to somebody over here in the corner. They just want to pray for you to get you started. They want to get you started. Because you can't walk this alone. None of us can. None of us can. And so please take advantage of that. Here we go. Lord, keep me outward focused. And fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. God bless you. Please go see my friends in the corner if you gave your life to Christ or rededicated your life. Please. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.